Well, let's look at our sermon right now. Uh, we're going to turn to page, if you have your Bible in front of you, or the Pew Bible, uh, page 757. Uh, we're looking at Acts 3, 1 through 10. So we're going to do that together. Acts 3, 1 through 10 in our Metamorphosis series. Let me read that for us, and then we will get started. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The word of the Lord. It was another normal day, a normal day of drudgery for a person who had been crippled for 40 years of his life, the broken beggar at the temple gate called Beautiful. Another day of begging for mercy from the able-bodied people who went into the temple. He had found that their hearts were a little bit more open, just a little bit, open to giving mercy to a broken beggar like himself. And so he was placed at the gate every day, day in, day out, to plea for mercy. He looked up at the gate, this gate called Beautiful. It was called Beautiful because it was the biggest gate. Soaring 75 feet and high, it was made entirely of bronze. Known as the Corinthian Gate, it was called Beautiful because it was greater than all the other gates. But to this broken beggar, it might as well have been a prison door because it represented to him what he could not have. You see, he was a cripple, a cripple from birth, and that meant that he was cut off, unclean, unable to walk into this beautiful gate. And so every day he felt, when he looked at that gate, the rejection of God. Oh, sure, he was able to look in, but he was not able to go in. Inside was the place where God dwelt, the place where one could possibly find peace with God uh, and acceptance, but that was for qualified people, people who were able to enter, not broken beggars at the gate called beautiful. And so he not only felt the rejection of God, he also felt the rejection of people. Oh, sure, there were those that looked on him with kindness as they walked by, sometimes a look of pity, if that wasn't bad enough, but there were others that judged him. He could see it in their eyes. Because he had an illness, he was cursed from birth. Whether it was him who sinned or his parents, who knew? All they knew was that God was disappointed with him and had placed a curse on him. God hated him. And so he was consigned to this life, this life outside this temple gate, begging, no hope for mercy, no hope for parole, just simply begging mercy day after day, yet finding little a broken beggar at the gate called Beautiful. But this was not to be a normal day, though he didn't realize it at the time. Oh, sure, he had had hopes recently. Everybody like him had. 
We had all heard about this person, Jesus, the one from Nazareth, who apparently was unlike any of the other prophets and the teachers. It was said that he had the ability to perform miracles, that he could make the blind see, that he could make the deaf hear, that he could even make the lame walk. That was the one that the beggar liked to hear about the most. It was said that 25 miles from here, at a gate in Galilee, at a town, that some friends just like his had brought a paralytic on a mat in front of him, and Jesus had turned to him and said, your friend, your sins are, are forgiven. And then, because no one believed him, because who could forgive sins but God alone, Jesus had turned and had healed him as, given, as living proof that he was who he said he was. And this paralytic had been able to get up and walk home, and he had praised God while he had done so. This Jesus had come to Jerusalem, and he had set the whole town astir. He called God his Father, Abba, and referred to himself as God's Son. Can you imagine calling God your Father? He went to the temple, the temple that was right next to this beggar, and he acted like the place was his. As he was walking through the courts, he saw the money changers who were ripping off people, and he became enraged. And he made a whip, of, uh, he made a whip and he drove out the money changers, yelling, How dare you turn my father's house into a den of robbers? He had even, in referring to himself, said that one greater than the temple is here. But what did it matter to this beggar? For the beggar couldn't get near to this person, Jesus. Wherever he was, there were these massive crowds. It was all that the beggar could do to keep from getting uh, trampled by the people around. And so this Jesus had been crucified. But they had said that he had been resurrected. In fact, that he had appeared to over 500 people in the last 40 days. And he had ascended to heaven, and now he was gone. So what difference did it make to this broken beggar at the gate called Beautiful? It was foolish to hope. Hope was a very dangerous thing. He needed to focus on today, for today was all that he had. I tell you this story about the broken beggar because I want us to get into his mind. You know, sometimes it's so easy that we read these stories and we think of these people as two-dimensional characters on a page. And we forget that they were living, breathing people just like us, with hopes and fears and desires just like this broken beggar. But we learned some very interesting things about this beggar. One, that he was broken physically. His legs did not work and hadn't worked since birth. He was broken emotionally because he was despised by people. In fact, he even despised himself. And he was broken spiritually because he was cut off from God, symbolized by this gate. This picture of a broken beggar in front of this beautiful gate, I think, is an apt one that maybe even we can relate with. Our legs may not be broken. We may be part of the in crowd, at least on the outside. But we have this nagging sense that things are not right between us and God that somehow there's this barrier that exists between us and him, that he's mad with us, that he disapproves of who we are as people. And so we feel cut off and distanced from him, wanting to come to him and yet somehow never able to quite get there. And so we turn to other things. You know, it's interesting in this story, we see this beggar pleading for mercy. In fact, he's asking for alms, but in the Greek, it literally means pleading for mercy. Yet who is he pleading for mercy with? Not God, because he did not believe that God would give him mercy. Rather, he was pleading to man. Who is it that we plead to mercy for? 
You know, but it's interesting. There's another story that's just like this, almost identical, that is in the Gospel of Luke. If we remember, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke to account the life of Jesus, and then he wrote the book of Acts to talk about the rise of the church and life after, after Jesus. And Luke is clearly contrasting and portraying these two accounts against each other. They're almost identical. There's a paralytic. There's friends who are carrying him. Uh, even the same Greek language. But in one story, in the Gospel of Luke, they lay him at the foot of Jesus. And at the other, they lay him at the foot of the temple, the gate called Beautiful. <clears throat> and we see in Luke's Gospel that Jesus forgives his sins first. And then he heals his legs. It's so easy for us to gloss over the forgiving of the sins, isn't it? Because we're drawn to the miraculous, the external. But which one is di more difficult, to forgive sins or to heal someone's legs? Jesus said it was quite clearly to forgive sins. Because to forgive sins is for God to come to someone and say, I forgive you. I accept you. The curse that is on your life, I lift in fact, I not only want to lift the curse off your life, I want to bless you. Can you imagine what that would have felt like to a paralytic who all his life was considered cursed by God, to be blessed and vindicated in front of all of those people? See, in that first miracle, Jesus, the greater miracle wasn't healing his legs. The greater miracle was healing his soul. Because the truth of the matter is he got up and he ran home and he praised God, but that man would grow older and older and eventually his body would fail him and he would die. But to receive the forgiveness of God, the blessing of God, is to merit immortality. The legs were just to prove that Jesus could do that. But let's look at this story, the story in the book of Acts where this man is laid at the temple. And why is he laid at the temple? Because Jesus is gone, or so they think. And so they lay him at the next best thing, this monolithic temple. But is there healing or forgiveness for this man at this gate? The answer is no. This is the first point I want to make. Religion does not have the power to heal you. Religion does not have the power to heal us. When I speak of religion, what I mean is acceptance based on your merits and your performance. See, this temple was part of the Mosaic Covenant, what we refer to as the Old Testament, the first part of our book. And the Old Testament, to be sure, God brought a people to himself, and he blessed them, but he gave them a series of laws, starting with the Ten Commandments and all the case laws around them. And one's righteousness was based on their ability to adhere to this series and group of laws. Well, there was only one problem. Nobody could do it. So on the outside of this circle, and the temple was sort of the epicenter, the representation of closeness to God. So on the outside of this epicenter, we had the lepers, and we had the cripples, who could not obey the law. Why? Because they couldn't enter the temple. They couldn't observe the purity laws, and so they were cast out. They were further away. And then there was the normal people, the normal people who could do some of the law, and yet they could never quite measure up because the law was so high and they were a sinful people. And then there were the Pharisees and the high priests getting ever, ever, ever closer to that inner sanctum of the Holy of Holies of the temple. And yet even with their outward observers, they were never able to fully observe the law because their hearts were not right. 
Romans, the New Testament, puts a big flashlight on this issue where Paul says that there is no one righteous, no, not one, whether Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, black or white, no one makes the cut. You see, the law was not designed to make us right with God. It was designed to show us that we were not good enough, that we are all like the beggar at the temple gate called beautiful. Some of us may have realized that. You may feel like a beggar, that despite all of your efforts, all of your trying, all of your striving to get in through that gate, into that presence and acceptance of God, you never can quite get there. I want to let you know that you're in a very good place because the gospel of Jesus Christ is for people that understand that they're beggars. But you may be on the other side of that. You may think, look, I've got my act together. I'm going to get there. I'm doing the right things. I'm not doing what they are. I don't make mistakes. I do good things. I'm going to get there eventually. I'm going to work my way up. I want to let you know that you're in a very dangerous place because God has made a way into the heart of the temple, but it's not by our own works. It's rather by the heart of a Savior. It's only when we come to realize that we need a Savior that we can recognize that the way to the heart of the temple is through the heart of Jesus Christ. Well, let's go back into this story one more time, into the mind of the beggar. I guess that's why he missed the two people that were walking up today in this morning. And as he saw them about to go into the temple, he cried out, Mercy, please, alms, just like he had a thousand times before. But something unusual happened because these two men stopped and they stared at him. In fact, they looked at him very intensely. This was quite unusual because beggars like him were virtually invisible to people around. But then they did something even more strange. They spoke to him. Look at me. The beggar looked at him, surprised to be called upon. Maybe they had some sort of crisis of conscience. Maybe they were going to give him money and make some sort of big show about it. And so he stretched out his hand as if to receive something from them. And that is when the big one, Peter, spoke. He said, silver or gold I do not have. But what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. And it was like electricity. There was the name of Jesus Christ, the Jesus who he thought was gone. He felt an instant change in him, in his life. His legs became stronger. Peter reached out his arm for the beggar's outstretched arm, and he lifted him up, and this man stood up. Even more than stood up, he leaped up. He leaped into the air and started walking around. And this beggar walked and walked and he leapt. But something else was rising up in this beggar, not just his legs, but his voice as well, because he began to praise God with all of his heart and all of his soul. This beggar walked. His legs had been set free, but even more than that, his heart had been set free. Because gone was the rejection that he had experienced. God had looked upon him and loved him and forgiven him through this one called Jesus Christ. And so he turned and he looked at this gate, this gate called beautiful, and he walked into it with these men. The barrier broken, the freedom, 
It wasn't that he was walking to find God's mercy. That wasn't why he was walking through the temple gate. It was rather because he had found mercy. And so he was walking into the house of his father too. He had been healed. Who can't smile when they hear this story of this beggar who had been set free? If we step into the story, we see this beautiful picture of this beggar standing up and then smiling. His heart had been set free. Again, like the story in Luke, what was the greater miracle? That his legs were fixed or that his heart was fixed? The answer is his heart was fixed. The rejection that he felt and knew that he had with God was gone. He was a man who had set free. But there are some significant differences between this story in the book of Luke and this story in Acts. How was this man healed? In Luke 5.23, he was set at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus spoke, and he was healed. Yet here we see that it is Peter who speaks, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. But Jesus is gone, isn't he? He's been resurrected. He's ascended. He's, he's nowhere to be found. This passage tells us that the authority of Jesus still reigns on earth, still reigns here today, even now, whether it's Jerusalem 2,000 years ago or it's Virginia Beach in 2010. You see, it might have been Peter's hand that reached out and touched the beggar, but it was the power of Christ that raised him and that forgave him. The name and authority of Christ reigns on planet earth now even today. The title of this book is the book of Acts, but the book of Acts of who? Not of the apostles. It's the book of Acts of Jesus Christ working by His Holy Spirit through the apostles. And so we see this picture of the power of Jesus and the presence of Jesus able to heal people's lives even after He's ascended into heaven. And what about me and what about you? You may feel that my life is so far from the presence of God. My problems are too remote from Him. That there's no way that God can enter into my situation. That He's not powerful enough to speak a word into my life, into my heart. But the truth of the matter is the name of Jesus Christ is the supreme power because He has been crowned as King of all. His presence continues to reign on this earth and His ability to heal people's souls, yes, even his, their bodies sometimes, is the same as it always has been. So He can save you no matter how far. But for many of us, the issue is not whether Jesus can save us. The issue is rather, will He save us? The thing I love about this story is that we see as clear a picture as I know about the heart of Jesus. Because Jesus loved this beggar and he came to save and seek the loss. You see, if the beggar was not able to go into the temple, so the temple came to Jesus. Jesus left his father's side and walked out of the temple gate. In fact, he kept on walking out the city gate and walked into a trash dump called Golgotha, where he got up on a cross and was crucified that we might be set free. See, Jesus' legs were broken on the cross by the centurion so this man's legs might be set free. Jesus was jeered and insulted and maligned on the cross so the insults that had fallen upon this cripple would rather go upon him. And most of all, the curse that was on this beggar, Jesus allowed the curse of his own father 
to come on him so that this beggar might be set free. The story of the beggar is the story of the gospel. God has made a way into the heart of the temple, and that way is through the broken heart of Jesus Christ. His broken body is the beautiful gate by which we go in to find safety and love. Whatever your circumstance, the unique situation that you may be in, whatever gate it is whose shadow that you're living under, maybe you have a gate of shame that you're living under. Maybe you've screwed up, you've made mistakes in your life, mistakes in relationships, maybe with a spouse, the children, with your family, your parents, where you were too busy, you didn't prioritize things, things didn't work out, and so you live with this moniker of guilt and shame in your life. Jesus has the ability to walk into the gate, past the gate, and to give us the forgiveness that we so need because we are broken beggars and the cross of Jesus Christ is for us. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. So I invite you to let Jesus Christ come into your world. I want to ask you to do the most dangerous thing of all, to trust Jesus Christ. Trust in his name, his authority to forgive you of your sins. But trust also in his heart. Not only that he can forgive your sins, but that he wants to. Make a decision to go nowhere else for mercy, but rather to extend your heart and to Jesus Christ. For he is our hope. He is our salvation. And if you do, if you reach out to Christ, you will experience his peace, which passes all understanding. For the greatest joy in this life is to know that God loves us because he loves us, because he loves us. I want to conclude with this verse from John 10, 7, where Jesus speaks of himself. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Let us pray. Lord, we